Now, I know you all want to see that movie now. Uh, it's a movie called UHF, and none other than Weird Al Yankovic could come up with something like that. And yes, that was Kramer from Seinfeld, so good stuff. Um, the reason I showed that clip is because, uh, you know, some of you guys have been giving me a little bit of a hard time with this series in a, in a good, you know, fun-loving way. But uh, after my 22 points last week, somebody said, you know, I think if that list could have been just a little longer, Doug, that would be slightly helpful, you know. Uh, but I, I want you to know it's on purpose, okay? Um, you guys know if you come regularly that normally what we do is uh, I'm just aiming at one point. I want you to grab it. I want you to live it. I want it to penetrate your heart. Um, but this series and the point of this series is that you guys drink from the fire hose, okay? Is that, man, uh, stuff's just coming out at you. And it, it's really on purpose. I, I want for there to be a day in your life when, as you might struggle in your faith, that you go, man, I just remember that there were 10 weeks, man. There was so much to say. We had to spread it out over 10 weeks. And, and honestly, we could have gone longer. But we, we had so much to say about God that we had to just keep on going with, with this series. And, and it's just so, so important. And I hope so much, and Ryan prayed it tonight, that the information that's hitting your head is, is turning into transformation in your heart. Okay, um, That's what this is all about. If you're a Christian, this is the kind of stuff... That should lead you to deeper worship, okay? I mean, as we talk about Jesus, as we talk about the reality of all of this, um, I don't know about you, but just as I was singing here tonight, just during the worship time, that, that's what was going on in my life. I was, just, I was just so happy and joyful that all this stuff we're singing is true. You know, I mean, we just spent 20 minutes singing that our sins been taken away, singing that, that God's alive, singing that, that we can't even imagine life without Him. Right? And I'm just so glad and I was just so encouraged that it's, it's reality. It's not fairy tale. It's not fantasy. It's not fiction. It's reality. And so that's why we're doing this series. And we want to give you guys answers um, to other people that are, are struggling in their faith. Um, if you're not a Christian here tonight, thanks for coming. And we hope for you that this will help you continue to question and hopefully find some answers. And we just would love to be any help that we can. And we're always open to conversation. So if, you know, if there's something I say tonight that just gets you mad, let's talk about it after. Okay, that, That's the whole point of this, is, is talking this stuff out and, and, and realizing that there are tough questions and they, they deserve answers. So um, we've been talking about my buddy, my buddy here. This is my chair from my office that I've been without for the seven weeks now. And uh, just like I wouldn't say, hey, uh, why don't you grab this? Just take a load off, man. Take a seat. You know? um, that wouldn't be very helpful to you. Um, we, we have all kinds of pieces to this chair that we've been putting together. And so far, we've got seven pieces put here on this chair. And the reason we've been doing that is because we've been saying that you're going to want all the pieces put together. You're going to want something substantial there that can carry the weight of your life. Okay? And the same is true with all this stuff about God and about Jesus. That if I just gave you one little piece, if I just said, you know what, guys, let's talk about prophecy. And I just gave you the one piece. Or let's talk about how men, does it really make sense that we all just got here by accident? And I just gave you that one piece. You could argue against that, right? But man, when there's piece after piece after piece after piece that comes together, you maybe will see that it's something that can support the weight of your life. And I don't know about you, but this is looking kind of comfy, right? We're getting there at least, right? All right, rolls, okay? I don't have wheels falling off, and you got a little cushion there. So um, this is really what we're, we're aiming at. And we got three more parts to put on in the chair over the next three weeks coming. And, and maybe by the end of that time, you'll be able to say, man, I, I can see that that could support the faith and the hope of my life. And so that's what we've been doing. And I want to review with you guys quick. And I want you guys, again, to just be up to speed. But also, I want this kind of hitting you guys over and over and over again. Remember, we're just going to keep on blasting you with the fire hose. And um, I would imagine that if, I, if you ever drank from a fire hose, you probably would not forget that experience, right? Okay. And so that's some of the point here is, again, 
I don't expect you to remember every last little detail. In fact, if you asked me probably in two months, like, oh, Doug, in part three, the third point, I wouldn't be like, oh, Tacitus, you know, like, all right. I don't, I don't remember necessarily every little detail of this all the time. But what's so powerful is the fact that all this is there and that, man, um, hopefully just like if you drank from a fire hose, you'd remember it 20 years down the road, that you'll remember this 20 years down the road when something goes wrong and you're like, God, where are you? Or as you're helping a friend or a spouse or a child come to faith in Christ, um, there's nothing more powerful than just saying, man, there's so much evidence. And so let's just talk about where we've been. Um, The first week, we basically said that the evidence points toward God, okay? That maybe it doesn't make sense that we just got here by accident, that all the intricacies of our body and of the universe were maybe intricate because there was someone who made them that way. And we said, man, the evidence points toward God. And we'd love for you guys to check this stuff out. If you missed any of these parts, um, we have parts two through six up online right now. And um, by the end of the series, we'll have those CD sets made up. Sarah's already actually got most of them made. Um, so we'll get those out to you guys. But check out the parts you missed, because I know that as I review, it doesn't do it justice. So that first week, we just said the evidence points toward God. And the next week, we said, all right, if, if there is a God, then who is it? And so we lined up the options and uh, as we looked at Muhammad and Buddha and Joseph Smith and Scientology and all these different options, we really zeroed in and said, man, the truth and power are found in Jesus alone. Because Jesus, he stands apart from the rest. And we're actually going to talk a little bit about how tonight. Then the third week, we said that the Bible makes sense, like from beginning to end. OK, if, if God is there and it is Jesus and we open this book and we're trying to figure out what it's all about, that from the beginning to the end, we see that we need two things. We need a sacrifice. And we need a substitute. We need someone to be sacrificed for us and to stand in and get the wrath of what we deserve so that our sin can be removed. That, that's there from Genesis chapter 3 to the end, okay? And uh, my, my son, my six-year-old son, he's got awesome theology, man. Theology is the study of God. And um, it's so cool because this past week he's praying, right? And I promise this, this was his prayer, okay? He prayed my, my third message. He basically, without even ever hearing it, he goes, God, um, thank you so much that Jesus came because there was a time when they used to have to sacrifice things to take away their sin. And uh, they used to have to sacrifice sheep. And he goes, and Lord, we don't have sheep. So thank you that you came as a sacrifice. And I was just like trying not to like burst out laughing in the middle of his prayer. It was just so, so awesome. Um, so just this whole idea that, yeah, man, something had to be sacrificed. And in the Old Testament, it was sheep. And Cade was on, okay? And it was some other animals as well. But man, Jesus came to be that sacrifice and that substitution for us. Um, then the next week we said that, that the, the prophecies are powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. That up to a thousand years before he came, over 350 prophecies were there with very, very detailed uh, things that, that were said about what he would come and do and be for us. Then uh, we said that the death of the eyewitnesses was a huge deal because you don't die for something that you know is a lie. Okay, so these eyewitnesses who say, hey, we saw Jesus after he was crucified, risen, alive, and he was breathing, man. He ate ate with us. He cooked us breakfast. He he let us touch the nail holes in his hands. Um, We were with him when he was seen by over 500 people at one time. I mean, just on and on and on. And then they go to their graves in horrible and horrible, torturous ways. Um, And then last week we said that the New Testament can be trusted. That what the Bible has to say about Jesus can be trusted. You can take it at face value. And now tonight, we're going to kind of go a step further. And we're going to talk about the transformation of the first century. Okay? Because that's a huge deal. All right? We're going to get ourselves in the mind of those people from the first century a little bit. All right? 
Because it's incredible what happened in the first century, right? All of a sudden, there are these people willing to die saying they saw Jesus alive. There are these people willing to do all kinds of things that were absolutely foreign to them. And it happened very, very quickly, okay? And so tonight, we're kind of taking the approach like, all right, if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, and all of this hinges on the fact that he did, right? If these people, if the, if the whole claim of Christianity is that he's alive, then if he didn't raise from the dead, then how do you explain for what happened in the first century? All right. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. And um, here, here's a quote from Tim Keller. He said this, After the death of Jesus, the entire Christian community suddenly adopted a set of beliefs that were brand new and until that point had been unthinkable. Okay? So you've got to ask the question, well, what were these beliefs? What were the beliefs that these people suddenly adopted and were willing to live for and actually die for as well? And so this is it. And this is the story that we tell. This is the story we preach, right? That Jesus was God had risen from the dead, and had removed their sin. Okay, that is the story. And, and, and up front, here's what we're going to do, okay? We're going to look at why the Jews would not have gone for any of that. Okay, why, if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, right, the Jews would not have been okay with suddenly believing any of that stuff up on those screens right now. All right, there were some major obstacles to these people saying, okay, I believe Jesus, man, he was God, and he died, and he rose again, and he took, took away my sins, okay? The first reason this would be a problem is because they wouldn't have worshipped a human as divine, okay? Um, I know a lot of us, we think about first century, and we think like a bunch of cavemen running around, you know, just one big Geico commercial, and you know, just doing their thing, and, and, and not very intelligent, and so, man, they'd very easily believe in this whole God thing. But the reality is there were some major obstacles that we like have a hard time understanding because we've been in church for so long, especially those of us who've been Christians for a while, like all this stuff about Jesus and, and him coming as a man, you know, I mean, that's every Christmas, like even people who don't go to church know that's the story, right? Whether they believe it or not. And so this whole idea of God becoming man is, is very, very common to us, but they would never have put their faith in someone who was man. I mean, you think about the first century Jews, what would they have believed? They would have believed that God was spirit, right? And they had this incredible fear and reverence of God. They wouldn't even write his name out, okay? And so they would never have looked at a man and said, that's God in the flesh, all right? I I mean, and and if I could try to like, you know, detox our brains a little bit from being so inundated of this message and hearing this so much and being so saturated by it, you know, I mean, just imagine you've never heard that God became human, okay? Just imagine that suddenly you're, you're, you're hearing that God became, you know, a baby, like he was born, you know what I mean? Like, like, like that is somewhat unbelievable, right? And you're thinking, man, I mean, you think about that first moment when God as a baby took a breath. You're like, this, this, is, this is just unheard of. Like, are you kidding me? God actually stooped down? Like, that, like I mean, honestly, that, that's just craziness, Right. And, and the Jews in the first century wouldn't have thought any different. And in fact, it would have been worse for them because they would have said that's flat out heresy. God would never become human yet. Yet. All right, I'm sound like I'm shooting myself in the foot here. Right. Yet they're willing to live and die saying that this is what happened. Right. How crazy. Right. Huge obstacle that was in their way that ended up 
Well, they were willing to believe that. They were willing to die. Why? Why would you do that? Let's say you never heard that God came into human form and suddenly saying, hey, that's him. I mean, it's not just like us 2,000 years ago. I mean, it's just like, oh, oh, that's him. We see that guy over there in the crowd, right? That's him. He, he's God in human form, right? What would it take you to believe that? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, it would be a resurrection from the dead, maybe. That might help a little bit, right? And so that huge obstacle is overcome. Another obstacle is that they did not believe in individual resurrections. Okay, so, so Jew, Jew, a Jewish person, well, no way he rose back from the dead, and now I'm going to rise back from the dead. They didn't believe in an individual personal resurrection. But there they are, singing the songs, like uh, secular history records as a hymn to a god about this one who came to rescue them and save them. The third obstacle would have been them being willing to change their day of worship right? Um, they would have celebrated on, the, on Saturday, okay? And I don't know if you guys are aware of this. Um, it's probably not as bad here, but most incredibly religious places, I wouldn't say we're religious. I'd say we have a relationship with God. But religious people, as you probably know, um, they're kind of like sticklers about certain things, you know? Uh, one of them being like when and where they worship. Uh, in fact, when we went to two services here at Collision, we used to just have the seven o'clock. When we went to the six and the eight, I got a one-line email from somebody who said, I don't like it, but whatever, okay? Now, all we did was move the service one hour in either direction, right? But I don't like it, but whatever, okay? So religious people don't love these big shifts and these big changes, okay? But here, again, are these first century Jews being willing to say, all right, you know what? I will change my day of worship from Saturday. And they begin to gather on Sunday, okay? Now, so you have these... These big barriers, they're not going to worship a, a, a human as divine, right? They're just not. They're not going to put their faith. They don't believe in individual resurrections, and they're not going to just simply change their day of worship. So these are the, some of the beliefs that Keller's talking about here. These ideas that Jesus was God, that he took away our sins as he died and rose again on the cross. Um, now, I want to talk about two reasons, and this is what we're going to spend our, our time on. I'm not going to be too long tonight. Uh, Two reasons why what happened in the first century was so incredible. Okay, the first one is that it was an overnight transformation. What happened in that first century literally took place overnight. Like, okay, today's October thirty first. Katie's dressing up like me. All right, um, imagine October thirty first. I believe and act one way, very religiously, and then on November first, suddenly I'm willing to die or be beaten or tortured for a completely different thing that I never believed in before. That's, that's what happened in the first century. It was overnight. I want to read you guys a quote by N.T. Wright. Um, he said this. He said, Such a massi- wow, massive shift in thinking at the worldview level only happens to a group of people over a period of time. Okay? So usually, what he's saying here is, usually, okay, when an entire culture is transformed, it's not an overnight thing. In fact, he's not even usually, but never does this happen. And you just go ahead and study history. I'll give you an example in a second. But go and study history. There's never a huge cultural transformation just overnight. All right? Um, I think about even here, like when, when we go out to lunch on Fridays, our staff here, okay, it's the same thing every week. We, we, we pull, sometimes, well, we, I'll start here. Usually we pull out into the, into the exit, and I go, okay, guys, where do you want to eat? And we sit there. 
and then we start arguing. <laughs> you know, and Joey wants to go to Bobby's, but I had Bobby's yesterday. And Ryan wants to go to Buffs, but none of us want to go to Buffs. And then Andrew wants to go, you know, and I don't want to go there. And then they start making fun of me because I only eat two things. And, you know, and it just gets worse and worse, okay? And, and then sometimes what happens is, is I, just, I just say, well, for, for, let's just, I'm going to start driving. And so I'll start driving somewhere, and I end up pulling over on the shoulder because we still haven't decided, okay? Now, that's about lunch, all right? I mean, we're not talking about huge cultural transformation here by any means, okay? And so... Just the idea that suddenly one day things were one way, the next day it's absolutely opposite. It just doesn't happen. Let me give you an example from history. The Age of Enlightenment, okay, was a time when, as a lot of you guys probably know, like, it was big on reason, philosophy, um, science, and we're still influenced by it today, right? In good ways and bad, all right? But the Age of Enlightenment, as you look at it, and as you look at it historically, they can't even really give you, everybody kind of has a different view about when it started and when it ended, all right? So I'm going to give you uh, the dates that some of the earliest dates that they said it started and some of the latest dates they said it ended, which was 1637 to 1815. Okay? So that's almost a 200-year period, right? Where these things are being discussed, argued about, fought about, right? Discovered, invented, rediscovered. You know, um, new things discovered that disprove that. And, and, and on and on you go with this whole idea of the Age of Enlightenment. All right? 200 years not overnight it wasn't like they just said hey this is what we believe about science this is what we believe about philosophy it took discussion and it took but that's not what you find in first in the first century you suddenly find people willing to throw out their old ways of believing and die for this idea that jesus died and rose again that's normal it's normal for things to take a long time not just for it to happen overnight Now, the second amazing thing about what happened in the first century is how it lasted. How this lasted. I mean, if Jesus was just the guy, this never would have lasted. Right? Here we are 2,000 years later talking about it. And instantly some of you guys are starting to think, well, what about Muhammad Muhammad and Buddha and even Joseph Smith? I mean, we're talking about them, some of them thousands, some of them a hundred years later still. So how does that? We'll talk about that in a second. But as, as we discuss this, you, you see that Jesus and this whole story about him is so revolutionary and is so unchallenged by the people in this first century that say, all right, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I will be beaten. I'll be thrown in prison. This is just simply what I saw. I'm just an eyewitness. It's just what I experienced. I'm just telling you, and I'm going to keep telling you over and over again. I'm going to tell everybody as much as I can what I experienced, that I saw Jesus alive and well. I want to show you guys a map of something um, because this is, this is pretty crazy, all right? Not, not only did it last, it, it spread all over the place, okay? And, and I want you guys just to check out this map. This is a map of uh, Rome, well, actually Italy, as compared to Israel, okay? Now here, this, I don't know if you guys can see this little red part, that's Israel. And as you guys know, Italy is the old boot up here, right? Now, that's 1,400 miles if you're going across this way, Okay? Um, obviously you're going to go around Syria, Turkey, all the way up and around. It's going to be a lot longer. Okay. So they're going either by sea or by land. Okay. From Jerusalem or, or, um, Israel to Italy. Okay. Now what's incredible about that is Jesus made it to Rome like real quick. 
Okay, not Jesus physically, but the story of Jesus, the, the idea that Jesus had died and risen again, made it all the way there. There's no like Jesus.com, all right? There's no NBC News. There's, there's no Fox, not like they're on anyway, um, all right? There's none of that, okay? It's just simply word of mouth about the story of this guy that they put on a cross who everybody's still saying rose again. And Rome hears about it. Now, Rome, like all of that was the Roman Empire back in the day, right? And so this, this historian named Tacitus, who we're going to talk about a little more next week, he starts to write about all these Christians. He starts to write about how many Christians there were in Rome and what people like Nero were doing to them just 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. Okay, so you have this thing lasting and not just like lasting, not just like, you know, 150 of us gathered in a small church like this, but you have, man, this thing blowing up, going all across to other countries. All right. And I want you guys to see why this shouldn't have worked. I want you to see why it never should have gotten to Rome if this was just a man. Okay. Listen in Acts chapter 5. Here's, I'll set the stage for you real quick. All right, Peter and the other guys, his buddies, the followers of Jesus, they had been imprisoned, okay? And they'd beat these guys, they'd leave them for dead, and they'd go back out and they'd tell more about Jesus. And in and, and the chapters leading up to Acts chapter 5, what's going on is like, Peter and the guys are going out, they're talking about Jesus. They get beaten, they get thrown in prison, they go back out. And, and just absolute, dri- driving the religious leaders in- insane, okay? And here now, they have Peter and the apostles back in jail. And, and somebody, one of the uh, guys who's there is talking, and this is what it says in verse 28. He said, we gave you strict orders not to mention Jesus' name when you teach. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teachings. You want to take revenge on us for putting that man to death. Okay? And Peter, verse 29, he's, he's getting ready to preach, man. He's going sermonizing here. All right? Peter and the other apostles answered, We must obey God rather than people. And this is a real secret for him. He goes, You murdered Jesus <laughs> by hanging him on a cross. But the, end of our ance- uh, but the God of our ancestors brought him back to life. God used his power to give Jesus the highest position as leader and savior. He did this to lead the people of Israel to him, to change the way they think and act and to forgive their sins. Listen to verse 32. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When the men on the council heard this, they became furious and wanted to execute the apostles. Okay, now listen to this though. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel stood up. He was a highly respected expert in Moses' teachings. He ordered that the apostles should be taken outside for a little while. Then he said to the council, men of Israel, consider carefully what you do with these men. Okay. And I, as I've, I, I can't get past this. If you heard me talk about Acts 5 before, you know, I, I always see Gamaliel like Sean Connery. I just always see him looking like Sean Connery from the rock though, from the rock. And he had the long hair and just looked like him, you know, and I just see him going, consider carefully what you do with these men, you know? Um, and so there he is. You got the image in your mind, right? And then verse 36, and this is so great. This is why it shouldn't have worked. This is why we should not be talking about Jesus tonight if he was just a man. Never should have made it to Rome. Some time ago, Thutis appeared. He claimed he was important and about 400 men joined him. He was killed and all of his followers were scattered. The whole movement was a failure. After that, after that man at the time of the census, Judas from Galilee appeared and led people in a revolt. He too died and all his followers were scattered. Now listen to this. We should keep away from these men for now. We should leave them alone. I can guarantee that if the plan they put into action is of human origin, it will fail. However, if it's from God, you won't be able to stop them. You may even discover 
that you're fighting against God. And so Gamaliel has some incredible wisdom here. He says, look, guys, remember Thutis? We killed him. Everybody took off. That was it. Remember Judas? Killed him too. His followers took off. But man, you know what? If this guy Jesus is, is, was just a man, we, we already killed him. Okay? His followers, yeah, they're annoying. We keep throwing them in prison. Right? But you know what? Eventually they're going to give up. Unless this is real. Unless he actually rose back from the dead. Then you won't be able to stop them. You might even find yourselves fighting against God. And here we are 2,000 years later, still talking about him. Still saying his name. Still singing that we can't imagine a life without him. Shouldn't have lasted. Shouldn't have worked if he wasn't really God. And some of you guys are going, well, all right. But what about Buddha and what about Muhammad? Well, let's talk about that real quick again. Okay? The reason Jesus is different, the reason his story is different and it stands totally apart from them. Because you guys, some of you guys are going, yeah, but Buddha's story lasted. Muhammad's story lasted. Does that mean they're God too? But here's the difference. Like we talked about in week two, Buddha's experience was private. Right? He was under a tree by himself, no witnesses, nobody there to verify if he did or did not have this enlightening experience. Right? Muhammad was in a cave by himself, saw an angel, and again, no eyewitness, nobody can say he, this actually happened or didn't happen. And then suddenly line Jesus up with them like we did in week two, and now you've got a real problem because you have Jesus doing everything he did publicly. You have Jesus saying, all right, I am the son of God. I will take away your sin. I'll dine across publicly and I'll raise again publicly. I'll show myself to you. Muhammad never did that. Buddha never did that. None of them did. And so Jesus stands apart. The story of Jesus. Remember, you have to remember what all of this hinges on. It all hinges on a public death and resurrection. And if that didn't happen, there's no explanation for what happened in the first century. There's no way people would have worshipped the man. There's no way people would have believed that he rose from the dead. There's no way people would have changed their day of worship. There's no way it would have lasted. There's no way we'd be talking about it tonight. There's no way that in a heartbeat, a whole culture was transformed. And what I love about it is that we're not just talking history. We're talking present too because it's still going. I want to read a couple of incredible quotes to you guys. Philip Schaff says this. You guys can read along. This Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon. Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of order or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Just simple, simple man. But he wasn't just a man. Full of God, fully man, fully God. Able to do what no one else in history has ever done. Some, somebody who's, this, this, this poem here is just an anonymous one. It's not a poem, it's writing, it's incredible. 
said this, here's a man who was born into an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village. He worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family. He never went to college, never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did of the things that usually accomplish accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen long centuries have come and gone, and today he's the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that have ever marched, all of the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that ever sat, and the kings that ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of man upon this earth as powerfully as that one solitary life. And tonight, we're still affected by him. Tonight, there are people sitting here in this room whose lives and worlds have been totally and completely turned upside down. And that's actually one piece of the chair we're going to talk about in two weeks. Is that changed lives are powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. That it wasn't just 2,000 years ago. It wasn't just the first century, but it was the second, and then it was the third, and then it was the fourth, and it's still going. Still saying, I can't imagine life without you. Saying, this one man who became flesh, who died on a cross, who rose again, who took away my sin, who turned the first century culture upside down, is still turning cultures upside down. Still turning lives upside down. Passionate and crazy for you tonight. Desperately wanting you to be sure that he's there. To be sure that Christianity has so much evidence that it can carry and support the trust and the hope and the weight of your life. And some of you guys that might be doubting that right now, first let me tell you, you're not alone. There are times we all struggle. But just let some of this hit your heart tonight too, not just your head. Just let it get real personal. That in the little details of your life and in the things that seem to be falling apart and the ways he's not coming through and the answers to prayer you haven't seemed to be getting, that, that he can still be trusted. That, that chair that's being put together, that, that all the pieces that are put in place, that, that they're strong. And they don't move because you or I doubt. As somebody once said, emotions start to sway, but truth won't fade away. And that the same one that transformed the first century culture will continue to transform you as you trust him and as you hope in him. And so I believe that the transformation of the first century culture is powerful evidence that Jesus died and rose again. And like I've been saying all along, man, that's all I had. This was my one, my one evidence message, my one shot. I said, look at the first century. You might be able to say, yeah, but Doug, that's, that's not so strong. But before that, you've got all this proof that the New Testament can be trusted. And what it says about Jesus is right. 
And before that, you've got eyewitnesses and eyewitnesses of eyewitnesses and eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses of the eyewitnesses who are willing to die and suffer saying they saw a risen Jesus. And before that, you've got 350 prophecies written up to a thousand years before Jesus came. And before that, you've got this whole roadmap for us that we're going to need a savior written as early as the day after Adam and Eve screwed up, right? There's the covering, the day they did screw up. There's the sacrifice. There's the substitute. And before that, you've got the truth and power found in Jesus alone. And you bring it right back to the beginning where the evidence points toward God. And I hope it's lining up for you. I hope more and more you're seeing that you can sit down. You can trust the weight of your life. We've got three more weeks to go. More of it will be aimed at your heart than your head over the next, next few. But I hope you're seeing that you can trust him. That he is crazy for you. I hope that the information is turning into heart transformation. Because it would be, it'd be a shame if all we left here for were good arguments for people who don't think like we do. This stuff should be changing us, should be bringing our worship to life. So there's evidence. And if you're doubting that tonight, I'd love to talk with you. I don't have all the answers. I can't answer every question. But I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. Love to point you to some really good books by guys that were written by guys that are way smarter than me. But I would say this at the very least, just keep searching, keep looking, keep coming back, keep looking into it. Because there is evidence. Let's pray together. Lord, we just we just want more and more for the information to bring transformation. God, we want more and more for our hearts to be yours. We want so much more, God, than just words in this series, God. But we want you to come and we want you to confirm these words, Lord, with your power and with your presence, Lord. And so I pray tonight, God, that you would touch the people in this room beyond the words that they've just heard. That you'd meet with them. And I just sense, God, that, that there are people here tonight that just need to know that you're in the trenches with them. That all this kind of theology and all this study and all this history, it really only means anything if, if that means you're in the trenches with us, God. That, that you're in the, the brokenness of this world with us. And you prove that by coming. And you prove that by letting your back be torn apart and your beard ripped out and your body put on a cross and in a grave. You proved you're with us. And you proved, God, that you rose again and you've left us so much evidence and we just want to grasp it tonight. If you're a Christian, would you just enjoy the fact he's with you? He, he, he did become human flesh. He did walk this, wor- this world. And he suffered, like the Bible says, in every way. He was tempted in every way. It's just so he could say, hey, I know what you've been through. If you're not a Christian, I'll continue to just give those three invitations. First of all, I'd say just come back. Check out next week. I, get, I, you know, I don't benefit in any way by you coming back. I, it's not some kind of you know, numbers thing. We're trying to break you know, whatever, break our record. We, 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 just, we care for you. We want you to know that he loves you. We want you to know that he's there. So come back. My second invitation would be if you just in a place right now where you're searching, you're not sure, you're questioning, but maybe you're slightly open to this, 
that you would just say, God, if you're there, would you just show up in my life? Would you show me who you are? And the last invitation would be if, if you're looking at that chair tonight and you're going, man, all right, that's starting to look like it could hold my weight. Starting to come together for me. Like I could trust it with the faith and the hope of my life and eternity. Then maybe tonight you want to begin a relationship with Jesus and you could just pray something along these lines. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising again. Convince me of your presence, God. Show me what it is to be in love with you. And I thank you for all you've done for me in this gift of salvation. In your name.